The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, would you um, now quiet us? Um, all the distractions that we brought in with us, all the distractions that are waiting for us outside of these doors, would you quiet us now? Keep those things from our minds. May we be focused on your word and what you'd have to say. Holy Spirit, speak clearly this morning. Have your way. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, uh, let's get right to it. If you've got a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, use your smartphone, tablet, whatever. Matthew chapter 6. The title of the sermon today is Anxiety, the Symptom. And I want to start right here in Matthew chapter 6. Look at verse 34. Are you there yet? That's okay. We'll put it up here. Here we go. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. And so what this tells us is that every single day we live, we have issues. There are troubles that come up. There are needs that we have, and they're legitimate. And we have a temptation in those, in those issues, in those things, um, to what? And that temptation is to what? It's to be anxious, right? It's to worry. And to be anxious is just that. It's to worry about something. And we've all been there. We've all been anxious. We've all worried, right? Anxiety looks like the parent who lets their kid go out driving for the first time by themselves. And you spend the next four hours listening to the police scanner for a description of your car. You know what I'm saying? Anxiety is is having a presentation at work. And so for the entire week leading up to that presentation, your lunch consists of like water and fruit and Pepto-Bismol, right? You know what I'm saying? That's anxiety where we worry about something. And it's not pleasant and it's not particularly helpful. In fact, uh, it's unhealthy. Anxiety is unhealthy. Jesus says in verse 27 of this passage, And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? In fact, you can probably remove an hour from the span of your life by worrying too much, right? We have all kinds of stress-related disease. There's heart disease, asthma, obesity, diabetes, headaches, depression, gastrointestinal distress. All kinds of things that are linked to stress, to worry. It's paralyzing. Uh, The the word worry is derived from an old Anglo-Saxon word which means to strangle or to choke. And and what a perfect picture of what anxiety does to us, right? It paralyzes us. How how many of you are like me? When you worry, your response is do nothing, right? Like that's the thing. It just absolutely paralyzes you and you just freeze up. You know, my, my old saying is when the going gets tough, Grant goes to bed. You know what I mean? Like that's the... That's the way I am. Worry just, it kind of paralyzes me. And I think it's why Robert Frost said the reason why worry kills more people than work is that more people worry than work, right? Worry keeps us from that. It paralyzes us. It's also distracting. You get distracted and so your mind is not on the task at hand, which sometimes is a good thing. There was a Chicago policeman started ticketing a, a car for being double parked and this man ran out uh, from his dentist appointment and he said that he double parks when he has a dentist appointment because he likes to have something to worry about to keep his mind off the pain, right? That's what worry does. It distracts us. Jesus speaks about it. Look here in verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God, right? The implication is that anxiety keeps you from doing what you should be doing, right? Because you're distracted, That right? That anxiety is distracting. There's a comedian 
comedian Joe Frisco who talked about this in an interview about not doing what he should have been doing. He was, uh, uh, his sleep was being robbed by anxiety. It kept him up. And he said like when he would travel, he was always afraid of being robbed. That was his thing. He always carried cash. He was always afraid of being robbed. And one night he got into Pittsburgh really late and he got in his room. And so he checked under the bed and he checked very nervously in the closet and in the, in the bathroom and he checked behind the, the curtains, right? And then after, at, before he laid down, he looked under the bed one more time. And as he laid down, his one final precaution, instead of going to sleep, he would just shout out into the darkness, well, here I am in Pittsburgh, broke again, right? Like just trying to let people know, please don't rob me. So instead of sleeping, he was constantly checking his room and that's what it does. It gets us distracted. And there are a few of you in here, maybe you've got worry figured out. Maybe you got anxiety figured out. I don't know who you are and I'd like to meet you, but maybe you're in here. But for the rest of us, there are those of us in here who we're struggling with worry, we're struggling with some sort of anxiety and we're in denial about it, right? You would say, you know what? I'm not anxious. I'm just extremely well-educated about all the things that can go catastrophically wrong, right? Maybe that's you. Maybe you're in that category. Maybe some of you, you own it. You know what I mean? Like you say, you know what? I am anxious and I'm owning it, right? I am anxiety, man. I'm able to leap to the worst conclusions in a single bound. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's me. I, I'm, I live in anxiety. But wherever you are, whether you think you got it figured out or whether you know you don't, we all deal with anxiety. We all deal with it um, in our lives. And, and in the past, when I preached on anxiety, you know, I went back and I, I looked at some notes from a, a past sermon on anxiety I did a couple of years ago. And in the past, I used this text, but I used it in a different way. There's, there's a couple of approaches I took to anxiety that I'm not going to take today. Like, like one, for example, I dealt with it uh, with worry and anxiety as the problem, right? So, so this is the problem. Anxiety is the problem. Deal with this problem, right? One, two, three. Here's how, right? But as we look at how Jesus deals with anxiety in this passage, I, I don't think he does that. And we're going we're gonna to try to do it the way he does it. And as I've approached approach worry, I've seen it as completely useless. And, and it, it very much is not helpful in a lot of ways, right? It's unhealthy, it's paralyzing, it's distracting. But as I looked at Jesus' way of dealing with anxiety, I realized, you know what? He's actually revealing a usefulness to anxiety. We're going to look at that. So let's get to the scripture. Hopefully we'll discover what's going on in my brain, and more importantly, what's going on in God's heart. Matthew 6, verse 25. Look there. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. This is an incredibly familiar scripture, all right? Please don't go on autopilot. I know some of you, when you're familiar with the scripture, you're like, bam, I'm, I'm somewhere else. I'm going to my happy place. Please don't do that. This is a very familiar passage. If you go to Google and you type in Matthew 6.25 and go to Google image search, there's all kinds of graphics people put up and there's all kinds of wallpapers you can download with this verse on it. It's a helpful verse. It's a good verse. It's a helpful verse. But there's something maybe you haven't seen before. And this is something I've probably ignored too often in this scripture. Can everybody right here, this question and answer portion of our show, can everybody look, what is the first word here in this scripture? What's the first word? Therefore, that's what I'm talking about. Some of you can't read. That's okay. We'll deal with that later. But therefore, and my pastor growing up, Dr. Rogers, he used to say, when you see a therefore, stop and figure out what it's there for, right? And I think oftentimes I would read the scripture and just keep going, right? And so, so what this therefore is saying is it indicates that this is not the start of a brand new idea or, or, or a completely independent thought of Jesus about anxiety. And in fact, what it's telling us is that this therefore is telling us that this verse 
verse and the verses to follow are, are connected to the preceding verses. In fact, not, not only are they not the start of an argument or the start of a thought, they're actually the conclusion, right? And in the past, if you go back to the last uh, uh, message I preached on anxiety, I started here. And went down, right? And I think, I think it's still helpful. However, when we look at this, what therefore tells us is that this is the conclusion of a thought of Jesus, not the beginning. So, therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life can be read this way. So, because of the things I just told you, don't be anxious about your life, right? So, we have to figure out what did he just tell us. Go back to verse 19. You ready? Look at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. So Jesus just described in these verses the type of person who can live an anxiety-free life. That's what he just described here. And so remember I told you Jesus deals with anxiety differently than, than I have in the past here in this, in this passage here? One, way, one of the ways he does that is he doesn't deal with anxiety as the problem, as I always have. Like, he doesn't deal with it as a disease. He deals with it as the symptom, right? I went to the doctor the day after my son was born, right? And, and we were in the hospital, and I told the angel I, was, I had a doctor's appointment the next day, and she goes, today? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, this, this baby's, like, brand new. Like, today, right? And I was like, yeah, I, I had to go. I, I was having chest pains, and uh, in, in I had some sort of weird infection on, on the cartilage around my sternum. I don't know, something weird. Anyway, uh, so I went to the doctor. And you know what? When I went to the doctor, I said, he said, what's wrong? I said, my chest hurts. He didn't say, well, here, this is, uh, these are pain pills. You'll be fine. Go have a good day, right? No, he did a battery of tests. Why? Because that's just the symptom. If, God deal, if he only deals with the symptom, if he only masks the symptom, then guess what? My chest is still going to hurt. And whatever is causing, it's just going to get worse. And that's what Jesus does with anxiety. He sees the anxiety and he says, no, no, this is not the main problem. This is just a symptom. And the second way that he deals with it differently is, remember, I used to deal with anxiety not only as the problem, but I used to deal with it as it was completely useless. That was my view of it. It's useless. Let's get it out of our lives. And I believe the way Jesus handled it, it reveals that it has one use. It does have one use. And what use does a symptom serve? Think about that. What use does a symptom serve? Ashlyn Blocker is a 12-year-old girl who I read about who has congenital insensitivity to pain. And so she doesn't feel pain. She's like a, a superhero, except she gets hurt. She's a regular human being that doesn't feel pain. So she doesn't feel the symptoms of pain with a broken leg. So she could break her leg and just, you know, just hobble along on that broken leg, letting it get worse and worse and worse. She doesn't feel the pain of a burned hand, right? Now, I read a story about she was, she was making some soup and she dropped the spoon in the soup and she didn't think about it and she just reached in and grabbed it. And she like kept cooking and then she went, oh, no, that hurts people. And she's like, mom, I burned myself. But she didn't realize it. She didn't feel it. So, so what use does a symptom have? What does it serve? Symptoms reveal a problem, right? And since anxiety is a symptom, therefore anxiety reveals a problem. It's helpful in that way. It reveals a problem. And, and there is a problem with our anxiety, right? Verse 30 refers to the anxious as what? Oh, you of little faith, right? So that's a problem. So anxiety reveals a problem, which is useful. 
That's incredibly useful, right? So when we have anxiety over money or terrorism or children or work or relationships or, or even God himself, we should immediately think of it as a red flag. And we should see that red flag as pointing us to a problem. We should go, hang on a second, I'm anxious, what's up? right? Not, hang on a second, I'm anxious. How do I deal with this anxiety? No, no, no. I'm anxious. Why am I anxious? There's a red flag here. Something else is going on, right? So here's what we're going to do with the rest of the time together. In verse 19 through 24, Jesus describes three characteristics of the anxiety-free follower. So here's my hope. My hope is that in the future, when you, when you feel anxiety, you'll see it for what it is. You'll see it as a symptom. You'll see it as a red flag. And you'll follow Jesus' teachings here to help diagnose the real problem and treat the real problem in your life. All right? Let me side note real quick. I need to say this, and thanks to the, the wisdom of my wife who, who, who led me to say this. Some of you in here, anxiety is a symptom of a heart problem. It's a symptom of a spiritual problem. It's a symptom of a faith problem. Some of you in here, chronic anxiety is a symptom of a brain problem, right? There's a, there's a chemical problem there. Please, 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 if that's you, if, if you suspect that's you, get help. Please don't take your medication away and say, you know what, I just need to believe harder, all right? There's a chemical problem there that needs to be handled medically. If you need that help, please get it. There's no shame in it. Please get it. I don't feel shame when I go to the doctor because I'm coughing or because I have chest pain. There's no shame in that. I need the help. So if you need the help, get the help. If you don't know how to get the help, please come talk to us. We'd love to help you, all right? So three characteristics of the anxiety-free follower. Number one, they build treasures in heaven. They build treasures in heaven. Look at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Earthly treasures don't last. Treasures then, especially more than now, a lot of our treasures are, are you know, our, our money and stuff, they're digital, right? But, but treasures then were, were metals, they're precious metals and precious cloth, right? Right? And guess what could destroy those pretty easily? Rust could destroy those things. Uh, uh, there could be moths that would come in and eat that cloth, right? Thieves could steal it. In Luke 12, Jesus tells a parable of a rich man who had so much wealth, he had too much for his barns, right? You know what I mean? He couldn't keep all his grain, all his wealth in his barns, so he built bigger barns. And then at the end of the parable, guess what happened? He died. And where was his wealth? Still here. Where was he? Not with it, right? He was separated from his wealth. Like that old joke, you know, when a rich person died and someone asked how much did he leave uh, to his family and then, or how much did he leave? And then the other guy says, all of it, right? Because that's what happens. We get separated from our wealth. We don't take it with us, right? So earthly treasure doesn't last. So what does it matter though? What, what, what does it matter if I want to spend my time on it? Okay, it doesn't last, but I like it. What does it matter? Verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It matters because our treasure reveals our affection. It reveals our affection. And if you, your treasures are earthly treasures, then where's your affection? You care mainly about what? Earthly things, not about God. If your treasure's heavenly, then you care mainly about what? But heavenly things, you care about God, right? And the problem is when our affection, when our affections are misplaced, then our faith is misplaced because we trust what we treasure, Right? That's just how it works. We trust what we treasure. I treasure my bank account most. Why? Because I trust it most, right? I treasure my relationships most. Why? Because I, I trust those relationships most. Martin Luther said, what a man loves, that is his God. For he carries it in his heart. He goes about with it night and day. He sleeps and wakes with it. Be it what it may, wealth or self, pleasure or renown, right? 
And you can see the problem with this type of thinking, right? You can see the problem with treasuring earthly things and trusting earthly things. Why? Because if I'm more focused on earthly treasure, then I'm trusting something that's easily destroyed. We just saw that. And it's also destined to be separated from me, one way or the other. Whether someone's going to take it from me, a thief, or whether I'm going to die and leave it behind, right? That, that doesn't make any sense. The only natural result for trusting things like that is what? Anxiety, right? You treasure your status. Status changes. Everyone fades. Everyone's important fades at some point. I love this point in my life right now because I am my kids' heroes. One day that will change. I will not be their hero anymore. I will be their biggest embarrassment and I will wear that badge proudly, right? Like that'll be me one day. But yesterday, my daughter, for some reason, we were, we were at the neighbor's house and they have like a garden and it has tons of rocks in it. I don't know why, but she kept putting the rocks in her mouth and that was her thing. And when we would stop her, she would like hide and she went and hid around the corner of the house and we're like, where's Piper Grace? And we'd go around the corner of the house and she's sitting there with three rocks in her mouth, right? And I don't know why she's doing it. And I told her and I said, you don't understand this now, but at your rehearsal dinner, I will tell them that you used to eat rocks, all right? Like this will happen, right? So if, you're, if you care about status, that stuff changes. If you treasure that, if you trust that, that changes. So the result, anxiety. If you treasure material wealth, there's never enough of it. And, and there's always something new out there. You know what I'm saying, right? Like, like I love my iPhone. I absolutely love it. But guess what? There are new ones out there. I don't have them and I love them more already. You know what I'm saying? Like we always want something else. And if you'd like to buy it for me, that's fine with me. All right, but anyway... And it's not eternal. Money, money changes. Investments change, right? And needs change. And guess what? Money sometimes isn't enough. At the beginning of the month, guess what? We were good. Like we were like, man, where does money come from? We are wealthy. And then all of a sudden, guess what? Medical bills showed up that we forgot about. And guess what? We didn't have any money anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like wealth changes. And so if you treasure material wealth, then guess what? It's only going to lead you to anxiety. You treasure your family mainly. Well, guess what? Your family's full of imperfect people. They'll disappoint you at some point, right? I'm not saying I ever disappointed my parents. My brother sure did. My sister sure did, right? Like, I don't, I don't think I did, right? Parents, they don't have a microphone. So anyway, uh, no matter how kind or caring they are, they're not perfect. So they're going to disappoint you at some point. And your family's also ever-changing. Last night, Angela and I were uh, looking at... Um, iPhoto on my computer and, and we were watching videos of our kids like two years ago um, and it was unreal. It was like, who are these kids, right? And we just, we had that like, that, that thankfulness but that like that, that bittersweet thankfulness, right? We were like, oh, our kids, they're growing up so great and wonderful but then at the same time we're like, oh, they're growing up and I wish I could just like, I don't know, put them in a, you know, like a time machine or whatever. Like, I just want those, I don't want those sweet babies to ever not be sweet babies. And, and, and as we thought about that, you know, as they got, they get older, their expectations will change. And so trying to please them is, is a, is, is a, it's a losing battle, right? So if you, if you treasure your family most, if you trust them most, then guess what? The result will be anxiety because your family's made up of imperfect people. So for some of us, our anxiety is a symptom of what? of misplaced treasure or misplaced trust and affection. So when you feel anxious, ask yourself these questions. Do I feel anxious because I'm trusting this to provide for me more than I'm trusting God? Do I feel anxious because I'm trusting this to give me meaning more than God? Do I feel anxious because this matters more to me than God does? If the answer is yes, then, then repent of it. Ask for God's help to, to replace and refocus your affections back on him. So firstly, the anxiety-free follower builds treasures in heaven. Secondly, the Lord is their constant 
focus. Look at verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. So the heart in the preceding verses represented what? Affection and trust. Not about pumping blood. It was affection and trust. So the eye here represents what? Represents your focus. What are you looking at, right? So a question this brings up is, is your eye healthy or bad? Another way of saying that. Is your focus on God good, healthy, or something else? Are you clearly seeing God through healthy eyes or are you looking at something else? When we worry, our eyes naturally, they turn away from God and onto other things, right? Think about it. When you're anxious about something, uh, we dwell on what? Potential consequences. How many of you lay up at night counting the what ifs? You know what I mean? Like, and you play them out in vivid detail in your mind. And so your focus is where? On the potential consequences. We rack our brains for solutions. You know what? I would pray for this, but I don't have time to pray for it. I got to figure this thing out, right? I got to figure out a solution. We talk to other people about the problem. One of my, one of the greatest joys of being a pastor is every week I get to spend time with people that are very different, right? And so every week I, I, I try to, I try to go out with somebody to lunch that, that I didn't go out with uh, recently or whatever, and just get to know somebody better or, 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 or try to be there for them. And so sometimes though, have you ever been to lunch with somebody who's anxious about something? What do they want to talk about? That, right? Does it matter that you're at the table? Not really right? Like it's only, it's about that like anxiety and that's, that's who they are. You don't know anything else about them. You know that because that's all they want to talk about. And, and, and they're not going to ask you about you because what? They need to talk about that anxiety. Their focus is on that problem, you with other people. We speculate how we got ourselves there. Our, our lives, our routines get disrupted, right? Our focus gets disrupted. And for those who are anxiety free though, their eye never turns away from God. Never. Philippians 4, 6, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. So don't worry about what? Anything. It says pray about everything. Your focus and your attention on the Lord should be unshakable. doesn't matter. Don't worry about what? Anything. Anything. Anything at all. Don't worry about anything. But hang on a second. I got this from, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Keep your focus on the Lord in everything, right? And so sometimes anxiety is a symptom of misplaced focus, right? So sometimes that red flag is saying your focus is off. And so when, you have, when you're anxious, stop and ask, have I spent time with the Lord? Oftentimes my levels of anxiety uh, are, are equal to the time I've spent with God, right? right? Like, like they're, they're very telling. They're connected, right? If I, if I haven't spent a lot of time with God, my anxiety is crazy high. If I've spent a ton of time with God, usually my anxiety is crazy low, right? When he doesn't have your focus, someone else does, and no one else is going to keep you at peace, right? Have I prayed about this? This is probably, it's so embarrassing how many times this one question has been the, the, the diagnostic question I need to ask myself, right? So many times my anxiety, the root of it is, I'm just not talking to God about it. Isn't that silly? But what do we do? The stuff I just said. I talk to everybody else about it. I think about it. I lie awake at night thinking about it. So I just don't bring it to him for some stupid reason, right? And ask yourself this, have I thanked him? Thankfulness strengthens our confidence in God in these times, right? It, it, it's, a, it's a remedy against anxiety because it reminds us of his goodness, right? It's an anchor for us. It anchors us in his goodness, right? And so we, we reject anxiety because we go, oh, no, no, no. 
This is how good he is, right? Remember all he's done for you. I, I challenge you, even, even right now, if you were to flip your notes over, just start listing things out, just start writing things that you're thankful for, you'll realize as you start to think all the things you take for granted, and you'll start to realize all of the goodness of God that's always present in your life, and it'll, be, it'll fight that anxiety. Uh, ask yourself this, have I been in his word? Have I been meditating on his truth? There are anchors for our souls in the promises of God, right? Verse uh, 25 through 34, the rest of this passage is an anchor of joy about God's provision and care. Romans 8, 1 is an anchor of joy about our freedom and our forgiveness. Deuteronomy 31, 6 is an anchor of joy about God's presence. So often I'm tossed about in worry and anxiety when he's got an anchor of joy for me right here in his word, but I'm not reading it. Have I been around his people? We listen to the voices of those around us. And so are the people that you're talking to, are they stirring up this anxiety or are they stirring up confidence in the Lord, right? Like you have good friends and what do good friends do? Good friends echo your, your, whatever you're feeling, right? Isn't that what good friends do, right? When you're upset about something, they're upset right? When you're happy about something, they're happy, right? When someone's wronged you, like they're, they're already figuring out how to dispose the body, right? You know what I'm saying? Like that's your, those are your buddies. That's what friends are supposed to do, right? And so when you're anxious, what do they do? They're anxious with you, but no, no, God's, God followers, Jesus followers, that's not what they're doing. They're stirring you up in confidence in the Lord. First Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Have you been around his people? So the anxiety-free follower builds treasures in heaven and is constantly focused on the Lord. Their eyes are never removed from the Lord. And for the anxiety-free follower, thirdly, the Lord is their master. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Master is one of my favorite ways to personally address Jesus. A lot of times when I talk to Jesus, I will call him master. A lot of times when I talk to other people about him, I will call him my master. I love that picture, but it's, it's foreign in our culture because it's a, right? It's a word that just kind of makes you, I don't know about that, right? And, and it probably should be in, in our culture. Our, our, the history of our nation has uh, horrific uh, human injustices in the, in the name of slavery. And so uh, we don't like to talk about slavery. We don't like to talk about master because we think of, of that. But here's the reality. We all serve a master. Romans 6, 16 says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? You will either, you are right now either serving God or you're serving someone else. You're either serving God, you're, you're doing what pleases him, or you're serving someone else and you're doing what doesn't please God, what pleases yourself or, or our enemy or somebody else, right? We all serve someone. And again, this idea of master and servant, it's foreign in our culture. So what does it look like to be a slave or a servant? Well, one, a servant's main concern is their master's happiness. A servant's main concern is a master's happiness. And anxiety for me, sometimes it stems from a place of I'm trying to serve my happiness mainly or someone else's happiness mainly. That's where my mind is. And, and here's the problem with that. I don't know what's best for me, right? How many times have, have uh, you got yourself in trouble like just trying to make yourself happy, right? You've done this and you said, this is a good path to go down. And then you go, I need help. How did I get here, right? You led yourself that way. We don't know necessarily what's best for us. And the second thing, other expectations, trying to make other people happy, others' expectations and their feelings, they change with what? The wind. 
They change all the time. People are fickle, right? And so pursuing their satisfaction, it's a never-ending, soul-sucking endeavor, isn't it? Right? And so what will make me, me happy? My master. Making my, happy, making my master happy will make me happy. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself also in the Lord. He shall give you the desires of your heart. And also, what will make me happy is what makes my master happy. Psalm 119, 16, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. John 15, Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love just as I kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made full. What's he say? Your joy, your, your deepest happiness is where? It's in my commandments. It's in obeying me, right? So what will make me happy? Whatever makes a master happy. That's what will really make me happy. That's what I've been designed to do. I'm serving him. What makes him happy will make me happy. So a servant's main concern is their master's happiness. Also, a servant has nothing that his master hasn't given him, right? Therefore, everything a servant has serves his master. When I was uh, about 11 years old, I remember this like this was yesterday. When I was about 11 years old, I was in the, the Target in Germantown, and I was with a friend of mine uh, who I absolutely would love to say his name, but will not. Uh, we, were, we were walking by um, an end cap that had candy on it. And it was one of those, like, like, here's a bag, like, fill it up, and then they weigh the bag, and it's like, oh, $12, and whatever it is. And so as we were walking by, there was, like, these, like, caramel chews, like, right kind of in the middle, like, like kind of, like, at our pocket level, if you will, right? And so as we're walking by, he just like grabbed a bunch and like stuck it in his hoodie. And I was like, <gasps> right? Like, I was like, we're going to jail forever, right? Like, this is not going to, and he's like, get some. And I was like, uh-uh, uh-uh, man, no, uh Like, I'm not built for jail. Like, this is not going to work. And so anyway, like we got back to his house and he had all those, those like caramel chews and he got away with it. And so like, he was like giving me some and I did not enjoy it. Like, I was sick to my stomach. Like, I was, I was all upset. Why? It didn't belong to me. It was stolen. And that bothered me, right? And sometimes I think I suffer anxiety because I'm stealing from my master, right? There's some sort of enjoyment, some sort of pleasure I'm not having because I'm stealing from him. It's his. It's to serve him, and I'm not serving him with it. I'm serving myself. I'm serving someone else. So he's given me talents. Maybe I'm stealing. I'm not, I'm not serving him with those talents. Maybe he's given me resources, Am I serving him with those resources or am I stealing from him? He's giving me time. Am I serving him with my time or am I stealing and serving myself? He's giving me relationships. Am I serving him with those or am I serving myself? And so oftentimes my anxiety is connected right there that I'm, I'm stealing from my master by what he's given me. I'm not using for him. I'm serving myself or I'm serving others for him. And that's not what it's for. Everything I have belongs to my master. So when you're anxious, stop and ask yourself, who am I trying to please here, Right? Even ask yourself, are you even considering what makes my master happy? And ask yourself, who am I serving with what my master's given me? The anxiety-free follower builds treasures in heaven. The anxiety-free followers constantly focus on the Lord. The anxiety-free follower's master is the Lord. Now, I, I want to close this thought. Does this mean that to be anxious-free, uh, that to be an anxious-free follower means we live carelessly? Is that what that means? Well, look at verse 27. In which of you but being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? Well, 
I think that being anxious about being killed by a car would probably make me not walk carelessly into traffic and therefore probably add several hours onto my life, right? Like if I was just careless and walked into traffic, well, then there's a couple hours probably gone right there as that car runs over me. You get what I'm saying? So, so like that, where, where do we, where's the tension there? Like what, what line do we walk here? And I think there's a difference between anxious uh, and the cautious. There's a difference between uh, anxiety and caution, right? And, and so we should live cautious. First Peter 5, 8 says to be sober and to, uh, sober-minded and alert because our enemy is what? A roaring lion. You should be cautious. You should live cautiously. So what's the difference between an anxious person and a cautious person? The anxious person is anchorless, is anchorless. There's nothing strong they can hold on to in the storms that hit them, right? They're not holding on to any solid joys or any solid hope. They're just trying to make it. And anyone suffering from this type of anxiety, right? Anybody suffering from anxiety, you know that feeling where it's just like all of a sudden just waves of just you don't know what hit you. And you're just, you're going one way and you're going the other. You don't know how you're going to make it. There's nothing to hold on to. You're just trying to make it, right? But the cautious person is anchored. They're anchored. Number one, they're anchored in his care for them. Look at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, and yet our heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Verse 28. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you of little faith? When troubles about provision assail you, you can hold on to the anchor of what? Of the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. You can hold on to the goodness of God and go, he's gonna provide for me, right? So, so yes, be cautious. Be thinking about, I need to buy groceries, I need to eat, right? Be thinking about, I need a job, I need, I need some sort of income coming home. Think about those things. Be cautious about those things. Don't be careless, but be anchored while you do it. Yes, I need a job, but the Lord's the one that mainly provides for me, whether he provides for this job or not. Yes, I need groceries, but the Lord's the one who feeds me, whether it's through these groceries or something else, right? You're anchored, right? And they're also, they're anchored not only in his care for them, but they're anchored in their care for him. Look at verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. No matter what hits me, no matter what trouble, no matter what need, my purpose hasn't changed. I still live to do one thing, and that's please my master. I don't have to be anxious. I don't have to be anxious about what am I supposed to do now? What does this mean now? Whatever it is, I'll please my master. That purpose hasn't changed. And I don't have to be anxious. I don't have to worry. Am I doing the right thing or not? Are you pleasing your master? Then you're doing the right thing. You get what I'm saying? There's, a, there's an anchor there of truth. I had a, a friend of mine used to be obsessed with the Illuminati. Like that was his thing. Whenever we got together, he'd talk about the Illuminati. It was, it was mind-numbing, right? That's all he talked about. And finally, I turned to him and said, what does, that got to, what does that have to do with us as followers of Jesus? What do we do differently? We still serve our master. Whether the Illuminati is in power now or not, our, our master is in charge. He cares about us. I'm still going to serve my master, right? I say the same thing to ISIS. I say the same thing to Ebola. What's that got to do with me right now? I'm going to serve my master. Whether there's Ebola here or not, I'm going to serve my master. Whether ISIS is in control, whether whatever they're doing, my master's in control. My master will provide for me, and my purpose has not changed. I'm going to serve my master. Plain and simple. In the middle of whatever, I'm going to serve my master. So I want to conclude with this. I, I pray we don't miss 
the usefulness of our anxiety. I pray that, that we use it as a red flag to diagnose the joy-stealing issues of affection and focus and who our master is. And I pray the Lord uh, helps, helps us anchor our affections and our focus and our lives in the master. And I want to close with this. We're about to take the Lord's Supper together, but I, I want to close with a, a poem that I found incredibly encouraging. It's called, When Birds Worry. When the birds begin to worry and the lilies toil and spin and God's creatures are all, all are anxious, then I also may begin. For my father sets their table, decks them out in garments fine, and if he supplies their living, will he not provide for mine? Just as noisy common sparrows can be found most anywhere, unto some just worthless creatures, if they perish, who would care? Yet our heavenly father numbers every creature great and small, caring even for the sparrows, marking when, the, when to earth they fall. If his children's hairs are numbered, why should we be filled with fear? He has promised all that's needful and in trouble to be near. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time together. We thank you that, Lord, um, we uh, don't have to succumb to anxiety. We don't have to live lives of anxiety. That, Lord, we can live lives of, of trust and faith and hope. And so, Lord, I pray that my brothers and sisters in this room would use anxiety um, as what they are, as a, as a symptom. They wouldn't be focused on that, but they would say, okay, Lord, what's up? I'm anxious about this. What's going on? Where's the, where's the faith issue here? Is it, is it an issue of, of trusting you, trusting provisions, an issue of trusting and, and treasuring something else? This is an issue of I'm not serving you mainly, I'm serving me mainly or something else. God, what, what's going on here? And would you use uh, your truth and your word to help us diagnose the problem and to, and to solve it and to deal with it for our joy and your fame. We love you, Jesus. I ask that my brothers and sisters in here, some of them have been... Um, they live in anxiety. And they just think that's, that's their personality. That's just how, they, how it's always been. It's how it always will be. I pray, Lord, you'd set some of them free today. That, Lord, they would follow that symptom back um, to the cause, to the root. And, Lord, by your grace, um, you would help them. You'd help them um, trust you. You'd help them uh, grow, their, their, their faith would grow, and anxiety would flee. And Lord, for those in this room who they're anxious because they should be, like they don't know you. They don't have you as their anchor, and so, Lord, they've been trying to anchor themselves to all these other things that it's not going to work. They're not anchors. Lord, I pray they'd trust you today for the first time. I pray that right where they are, they would ask you to forgive them. They'd ask you to come into their lives. They'd ask you um, to help them follow you right now. And that, God, you would fill them with the confidence to know that if that's the attitude of their heart, that your Holy Spirit indwells them now, they're your children forever. And their Father cares for them deeply and has a new life for them. Lord, thank you for your love for us. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.